Okay, well, let's grab our Bibles. We are in the book of Genesis chapter 42 as we continue looking at the life of Joseph together. And chapter 42 and 43 are really connected in the sense of the uh, narrative that plays through both chapters, but we'll be taking them in portions together in a series of messages entitled, When Dreams Come True. If I were to sum up the life of Joseph and the example that he leaves us, there's so much I could draw from. There are so many things that Joseph demonstrated for us as believers in Jesus Christ that we should admire and imitate. But when we come to chapters 42 and 43, I believe it highlights the chief characteristic that all of us can learn from and draw from, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness in the Christian life is incredibly important. Understanding forgiveness, understanding how forgiveness works and why God calls upon us to forgive. Let us remember that it has now been 22 years since Joseph's brothers, after discovering and hearing of the dreams in which God had given him, threw him into a pit and left him to die. Reuben protested and said, no, we can't simply kill our brother in this manner. And Reuben, therefore, uh, pleaded with the brothers not to do this, but yet began the process of returning home to Jacob. And while he was gone, they decided, well, why should we not sell him and at least make some money from the sale? We get rid of him and we profit a little bit from him. So as the Ishmaelites were coming by, they sold him into their, their slavery. The Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt where he was sold into the house of Potiphar. There God blessed Joseph and the house of Potiphar. But in the blessing there in the home, Potiphar's wife began to lust after Joseph desiring to be with him intimately, threw herself upon him many times over and over again, and each time he resisted. Finally, it came to the point where Joseph realized that all he could do was run, and in so doing, discovered that she had a hold of his cloak, and he ran out of the room naked. She then fabricated a lie, saying that Joseph forced himself upon her, When Potiphar returned, the captain of the guard, he then had Joseph imprisoned. And while in prison, two other individuals joined him there, a cupbearer and a chief baker, each having dreams that they could not interpret. Joseph knew that God could interpret those dreams and did so on God's behalf. The cupbearer was to be released and restored to his position where the baker's fate, well, wasn't as fortunate. And he would be executed. Pharaoh really didn't like his muffins. So when the cupbearer was going to return to Pharaoh's court, Joseph said, please remember me. Please remind Pharaoh that I'm here. But the Bible tells us that the cupbearer forgot. And Joseph spent two more monotonous years in jail. The dungeon, the Bible says. 
monotonous day-by-day moments in a dungeon, being forgotten about, not understanding what was going to happen next, not having any light at the end of the tunnel. The Bible described those years as two full years. And in the Hebrew, it means they were long, drawn-out years. You all know what it's like to have time just slowly pass by, especially if it's, you're doing something you don't want to do or you're waiting for something of some urgency, and time just seems to drip by slowly. And so it was for Joseph. But then one night, Pharaoh had a dream that he didn't understand. He called all of his magicians together in hopes that they could interpret the dream for him, but they couldn't. The cupbearer then remembered Joseph and confessed that he had forgotten him, telling Pharaoh, there is one that can interpret your dreams. He's in your own prison. Pharaoh then brought Joseph before him. The dream was given that there would be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and during those seven years of plenty, Joseph then recommended that storehouses be created to provide for the seven years of famine that were to follow, encouraging Pharaoh to appoint a person to that position to oversee one-fifth of the grain being stored on Pharaoh's behalf to feed the people of Egypt during the time of that famine. And then Pharaoh in chapter 41 selected Joseph for that position, making him second in all of the land, Pharaoh's prime minister to the people. Pharaoh now sees that God is with Joseph and that he is wise and a good steward and faithful to the task. And as the years of plenty went by, Joseph did his job, collected one-fifth, the storehouses were full, and then we end chapter 41 with these words beginning in verse 56. For the famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. This famine was so severe that, of course, it affected the entire region, including as far as Canaan. And we pick it up here this morning as we now direct our attention to Jacob there in the land of Canaan with the remaining 11 brothers They now have fallen on hard times. The famine's severity has affected them. Jacob, knowing that there is grain in Egypt, now sends ten of the eleven sons, retaining Benjamin with himself. Why did he do so? Because Benjamin was the only other son that his favorite wife Rachel had given him. For Joseph was the first. But Jacob now believed that Joseph was dead. And now it begins to unfold the fulfillment of those dreams that Joseph had 22 years later. I'm often questioned about God's timing. 
And I wish I could tell you that I understand it fully. But the longer that I walk with the Lord, the longer I understand that I don't understand God's timing. But this I can say with assuredness, that God's timing is always perfect. It never lines up with my agenda or my calendar, but it always fulfills itself perfectly. And when we think of the will of God, we must not only consider what that will may be for us, but also the timing in which that will will be fulfilled through us is equally important in understanding our God and His will for us. Twenty-two years have passed. Joseph's had no contact with his family. He hasn't been back to Canaan. He has assimilated himself, now spending more time in Egypt than he did at home. He is now second in command. He is executing his job faithfully. And lo and behold, God now begins to bring about one of the greatest crescendos in all of Scripture. And in it we see forgiveness demonstrated. A forgiveness that is absolutely noteworthy for us. But to understand forgiveness, we have to understand three R's. That's right, three R's, the letter R. We need to understand repentance. We need to understand reconciliation. And we need to understand restoration. And before God could bring it all back together and restore this family... He first needed to bring the brothers to a place of repentance. Because repentance always precedes reconciliation. It always precedes reconciliation. And so let us watch how God draws this repentance from them. As he has in other individuals' lives throughout the Bible. Now, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, verse 1 of 42, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Come on, boys, you know better. You know what we need to do. We're starving here and there's grain in Egypt. So two plus two equals, come on, figure it out. That's what Jacob's saying here. And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Come on, boys. Get it together. Well, my dad was teaching me how to cut the grass because he had a... My dad was one of those who cared about which way the lines went. Okay, I thought the objective was just to cut the grass. But he cared about which way the grass folded on each pass. So he would show me and then I would do it. Come on, you're doing it wrong, kid. Then he would show me again and then I would do it and then he'd stop me in the middle because he wanted to show me again. And one time on a Saturday morning, because that was grass cutting day, I did everything I possibly could to be home not on Saturday morning for grass cutting day. He stopped me in the midst of it to make sure that I would once again know how to cut the grass. 
So after that, on Saturday mornings, I got wise to the fact, Dad, I'm just not sure about this now. Can you show me again? Oh, okay. And he would then cut all the grass. I'm like, thanks, Dad. Then next Saturday would come. I was like, Dad, you know, it's been a week. It's been a week. We started when I was nine, and by the time I was 16, I finally got it. And he looked at me one morning, and he goes, come on, you know better. Get out there and cut the grass. Jacob here instructing his sons. In verse 3, so Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who were who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Undoubtedly, as the brothers made their way to Egypt, they realized that once again, they were confronted with the reality of what they had done 22 years earlier. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we wonder as they took each step. It's about 250 miles, 300 miles from where they were. Six-day journey. As they took each step towards Egypt, did they wonder and contemplate, I wonder if Joseph is there? Because they all knew what had happened. For 22 years, he was out of sight, out of mind. But now the reality of what they had done has now once again returned to the forefront of their mind. Step by step, as they inched closer to the land of Egypt, they had to have wondered. Was Joseph still there? It's amazing how God begins to move us to lead us to repentance. He often does very natural things to move us in our lives, to take us from one place to another. I think of Esther who found herself in a beauty contest And next thing you know, she was found in the court of the king. Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians, no fault of his own, but next was moved from Jerusalem to Babylon, and there God used him in a dynamic way. I think of the plague that moved Joel in the manner in which it did. I think of the census that moved Mary and Joseph to take that journey dangerous journey at that point of her pregnancy to Bethlehem. Natural things, things that would seem to perplex us and cause us to ask why. God is orchestrating it all. And now due to this famine, the brothers are now headed to Egypt in hopes that they will find food to purchase that they may survive. But God also moves people in ways to bring them to repentance. And the boys are now being led to that place where they have to consider what they have done. All that happens in our life, I am reminded of Psalm 115.3, but our God is in heaven 
and he does whatever he pleases. Let us always remember that. Regardless how things look by our perspective, let us remember that God is in heaven and can do whatever he pleases, and nothing that man does can stop that. Now, as the boys made their way down to Egypt, already their consciousness was being stirred. Eventually, it will boil over, as we will see in just a moment. But bringing back to their memory what happened 22 years earlier was the basis of leading these men to repentance. Now, in verse 6, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who was who sold to the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed before him with their faces to the earth. Now, this is where Eric kicks in, okay? Thinking of all the things that Joseph could do at this moment. As they were bowing down, did he go, you know, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. Sell me, will you? And we could understand if Joseph responded in that way, but he didn't. He responded in a very unique way. And we don't fully understand why Joseph did all that he did, but we see that it drew out the fulfillment of what God stated from the beginning. Joseph now, after 22 years, is confronted with the reality that his family is still alive. And undoubtedly, he had all kinds of questions. Was my dad still alive? I only see ten of you. Is Benjamin still alive? Twenty-two years ago. What were you doing twenty-two years ago? Some of you here may not have even been born twenty-two years ago. But here you sit today. Can you imagine that period of time going by, not knowing if your family is alive or dead. Not understanding the plan that God has for you. The dreams that were given to you, why were they given? And now 22 years later, why are they now being fulfilled? This is where we have to acknowledge that God's ways are not our ways and His ways are higher than our ways. This is where we have to take a step back and not lean on our own understanding, as the writer of the Proverbs states. But in all our ways, acknowledge God, and He shall direct our paths. So as we see this unfold before us, in verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them, harshly. And then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. You have come here as spies from lands about to see our vulnerabilities and to take advantage of them. Now, why he reacted in this way, we can't say. He knew that they weren't spies. Some believe that Joseph was being, you know, 
getting some type of retribution at this point, but I think that would be too far to go. Especially because we'll see in verse 25 next week how he responds to them. We don't know why he acted this way, but he did. But God apparently is using these things to draw out from the ten brothers repentance. Let us notice as we continue. In verse 9, then Joseph of verse 10, excuse me. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We, <laughs> we are honest men. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know how Joseph did it. He kept a straight face like he did, you know. Uh, now, it had been interesting, uh, history tells us that the Egyptians were very clean-shaven and the Hebrews had long beards often, so they, they obviously didn't recognize Joseph in any way. I don't think they anticipated expecting Joseph to be alive, even though they wondered. But in it all, they are now confessing to him that they are not there to spy, they're honest men. Your servants are not spies. But verse 12, But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land, meaning the vulnerabilities, where you may exploit and take advantage of us. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the son of the man in the land of Canaan, of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. And one is no more. I can't imagine how Joseph felt when he heard those words. They believed that he was dead and yet he was standing right before him, before them, excuse me. But he has now learned that Benjamin is still alive and home with dad. And this leads Joseph then to draw Benjamin and his father out also. And he does so in a very unique way. Verse 13. I'm sorry, 14. But Joseph said to them, It is as I have spoken to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. All right, prove it that you're not. Now, was he really asking them to prove that they weren't spies or if to prove that they were truly honest men? Interesting question to ask. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested or proven to see whether there are any truth in, is there any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them in uh, them all together in prison for three days. Now something changed Joseph's mind. He let them stew for a while. I think if you watch TV uh, police stories and crime dramas, they often bring in the suspect, they put him in the interrogating room, and then they all go out to lunch. And they just let him stew or her stew for hours, thinking that they're more pliable and willing to confess by waiting them out 
patiently waiting for their guards to fall. He places them in prison for three days, and then Joseph said to them, The third day, do this now and live, for I fear God. Oh, wait a minute. He is speaking of the God of Israel. He is speaking of Jehovah, Yahweh, here. Now remember, Egypt was full of pagan gods, a plethora of gods. Some estimated that the Egyptian culture could have had close to 2,100 different pagan deities. And yet, he singles this out. Was he slipping his identity to them by showing that he was one who believed in God, the same God that they did? We don't know. So if you are, notice what he says here. What does he say? If you are what men? Honest. Are we really talking about them being spies or are we talking about them being honest men? You see yourself as honest men, but are you truly honest men? Remember, they said nothing about being a spy. It was Joseph who implied that. God was drawing out of them the necessity of repentance. And why do we know that? Notice how it unfolds. He says, now let one of your brothers be uh, confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain, oh, that's interesting, for the famine of your houses. Joseph was already in a position in demonstrating his willingness to forgive. In possibility, it may be fair to say that he already had forgiven them. But forgiving them wasn't going to bring about the restoration that God wanted to bring about. Now let's stop here for a moment and please listen if you will. We as Christians are called upon to forgive those who harm us, who hurt us, who do wrong towards us. It is not predicated on them asking for forgiveness. It's not predicated on them showing repentance. It is not predicated on them, their attempts of reconciliation. Our mandate to forgive others is predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ forgave us. Okay? Now, you may have a lot of questions at this point. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. I mean, I have to forgive even though someone doesn't ask for my forgiveness, yes. Even though they don't deserve my forgiveness, yes. Even if they're not attempting to reconcile, yes. Why? Why would I have to forgive? Because Jesus Christ has forgiven you. That's exactly what Jesus meant in the Gospels when he said what he did. Why is that? Forgiving another person, regardless of what happens next, a reconciled or a restored relationship, allows you to move forward. It allows you to continue growing in your Christian life. It allows your heart to be softened and not hardened, gentle and not bitter, compassionate, not critical. It allows us to continue on in our walk with the Lord because we are now forgiving 
simply on the basis of Christ forgiving us. Now, sometimes that takes a long time to get to. As I shared with you last week about the incident with my mom, it took years before I could come to that point. I had to beg God for grace. Oh, I loved her and I cared for her and I cared about her, but I didn't realize that I was still harboring unforgiveness in my heart. After the event that occurred, she didn't remember it the next morning. And so she never asked for forgiveness or repented in any way, shape, or form. But that being said, God was calling on me to forgive because my heart was starting to grow bitter. I was starting to become critical. And then God said, just forgive. And I said, oh Lord, but why? And oh, there it comes the verse, because I have forgiven you. How freeing that was. I left it to the Lord. Lord, you deal with it. It's just beyond my capability. And sure enough, years later, my wife had the privilege of leading my mom to Jesus Christ. And after 53 years of drinking, she stopped and didn't drink again. But if that person doesn't repent, it's very difficult to begin a reconciliation process. Therefore, never getting to the point of restoration. But if they do repent, that repentance often leads to reconciliation, which we'll see in our text with Joseph and his brothers and his father. Leading then to restoration. So we should forgive. But allowing the process to continue then becomes dependent on their repentance and reconciliation and finally restoration. But notice how God draws out from them this repentance. (coughs) Excuse me. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, verse 19, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, notice this, here it comes, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul. That moment they threw him in the pit. They looked into those eyes. They saw the anguish of his soul. When he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, therefore this distress has come upon us. In the way God can only do, he drew repentance out from them. Joseph isn't even discussed here, is it? But the predicament that they find themselves in, they equate to the sin, the consequence of the sin that they had committed 22 years earlier. And being challenged by Joseph, the questioning of their honesty, 
the necessity of the proof, proof of that honesty, Simeon will be kept. They will go back with the grain that they've been given to feed their families and will return with Benjamin to him in the text that is yet to come. But notice the language that is used here. We are guilty. This is the acknowledgement and the beginning of true repentance. One will repent when they realize that they are guilty before God. Their suffering, they equated obviously as a consequence of what they had done. But now that they have acknowledged that, what do they do about that? Now, while they are speaking, who is in their presence? Who is listening to them? Oh, they don't know it's Joseph because he's speaking through an interpreter, which we'll see in just a moment. But hearing those words, can you imagine how Joseph felt? Can you imagine the pain that Joseph experienced at that moment? That they are finally, after 22 years, coming to the realization that they had wronged their brother. Sometimes repentance takes time. And God brings us to those places uniquely to draw that repentance out. I think of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, when he is approached by Nathan the prophet, after sitting with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet comes to him, and I encourage you to read the story on your own. But Nathan then tells him of an injustice that is taking place within his kingdom. And he gives this story of uh, uh, two neighbors, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. David is absolutely enraged by what he is hearing, and then Nathan the prophet says, I am speaking of you. And after that encounter with Nathan the prophet, God used Nathan to draw that repentance out of David. David gives us insight to how he felt and what he was thinking at that moment. And I think it's important that we look at that together today. So will you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51? Psalm 51. It's before Revelation. Psalm 51. It is entitled, A Prayer of Repentance. As the chief musician David, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Notice what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my, in uh, the sin of my mother conceived me. Behold, you... Desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me known no wisdom. 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. And I love this, we'll conclude. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is true repentance. This is what the ten brothers were experiencing. This is what God needed to do to draw that repentance out from them. David realized that he had sinned against God and God alone. The brothers had realized that they had done evil to their brother Joseph and now were suffering those consequences. And this is the beginning of the process of reconciliation and restoration. It always begins with repentance. And as we conclude in verse 22, And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, this blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And we'll stop there for today. Read on so we can discuss next Sunday together. But think about those words of David. Those words of David when confronted with his sin, realizing that his sin had distanced him from God. He was dry. His bones were frail. And the sin was the issue within his life. And he pleads with God, God, forgive me. Today, you and I have a promise that God has given us. It's a promise found in 1 John. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you harboring unforgiveness in your life and therefore you seem in, it's, it seems impossible for you to move forward? Ask God for the grace to forgive that you may be free. And let Him begin the work that only He can do. But when it comes to reconciliation... We have example after example of individuals that reconciled only after repentance. When we came to Jesus Christ, the beginning of that relationship began with our repentance. That led to reconciliation. That led to restoration in Christ. And so shall it be with the relationships and with those who have wronged us. Oh, let us forgive that we may not grow bitter and estranged and critical in our hearts. But let us let God work to draw the repentance out of them. I love what D.L. Moody said about repentance when he wrote, Man is born with, this, with his back towards God. And when he truly repents, he turns right around and faces God. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a 
tear in the eye of faith. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about reconciliation, he said reconciliation is amazing, but this is more wondrous and more amazing. Reconciliation is not the end. Beyond reconciliation, we have access to the Father and restoration, therefore, is embraced. But all of this is under the guise of forgiveness. D.L. Moody again said, and I love these words, and I'll close with them today. The voice of sin may be loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. As we take communion together as a church, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf to allow the forgiveness of you and I to be shown. It's through the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, that we can be offered the forgiveness and the grace to receive that forgiveness. As He moves us to repentance, as He begins that reconciliation process between us, fallen, and holy Father God. And He begins to restore us because He loves us too much to leave us the way He found us. He begins to create in us a new heart. And from that new heart, and the fact that all things of old have passed away, all things are brand new, and now we can enjoy new life in and through Jesus Christ. And in that new life, God begins a work of sanctification, taking us out of the world and conforming us into the image of Jesus. This is the beauty that forgiveness with repentance, reconciliation, and restoration occurs in the life of the believer.